Hey guys, and welcome to a solo podcast. I feel very lonely today, hence why I'm doing it with just audio and no visuals today. The reason why I'm not going to do visuals is because uh, I think that if I was to just sit in front of the camera on my own, I don't know whether that would feel right or not, and this feels a little bit more right, just me on my own talking to my own laptop. So I hope you enjoy this, guys. But as usual, thank you very much for the support on the podcast. It's awesome. It really is. Like I was looking through the the actual plays on SoundCloud and we've got over 160,000 plays since I released the podcast initially uh, or at least since I put it on, on SoundCloud. And usually we get over the last seven days, we've had like 2,000 plays. So uh, like two and a half thousand plays, which is just crazy. So guys, like keep tuning in, keep listening and perhaps... Today, you might learn something. <laughs> We've got George out of the way, so you might actually learn something today. We might actually not talk garbage. <laughs> Had to give him a little bit of shit because obviously he didn't turn up today. Not too sure what he's doing. He's obviously not got his nut in the game. He's probably seeing his missus. <laughs> um, but no, in reality, he's probably got stuff going on that needs to be done, which is fair play. So I'm on a rest day today. I am traveling up to, to Sheffield tonight to obviously stay with Danny and then we are going to the UK Up show in York. That's one of the final qualifiers for the UK Up. Danny's got a few clients in that. Uh, I've got no clients in that one but I'm going to support Danny's clients so she's done the same for me all year. So we're going to that on Saturday so if there's anyone at the UK Up show on Saturday in York please do come and say hi. And then we've got the BNBF Finals, one of the, one of the biggest shows, biggest natural shows of the year in Liverpool on Sunday. So me and Danny will both be there. So if you are there at the BNBF Finals, please do say hi. Um, some of my uh, favourites for the pro card include Ali Stewart, James Pointer, Tom Pointer, and I think those are my those are my favourites. Okay, actually, yeah, I forget Solomon and Theo Golab as well. They've all got to be in the mix. Um, there's others, of course, that I've potentially missed out, but those are just off the top of my head, potential favorites for, for the pro card coming into, into the finals of the BNBF. I'm very much looking forward to, to obviously watching that. Um, I think in the pro class, I've seen the entry list for that, and I think it's probably going to be between Michael Perrin and Mark Claxton, I think from what I've seen of the people that have entered. But that's all up in the air. Of course, it depends who turns up on the day and how they look. But I have seen a few pictures of Mark that luckily enough he's he shared with me along the, the journey, which has just been a pleasure to sort of see a little bit of his progress and, and be part of that. Um, so I've seen a few pictures of him and I can quite openly say he looks fucking ridiculous, like crazy good. Um, so I'm very excited to see him on stage. And obviously excited to see other people and catch up. So if you're there, likewise, again, just come and say hi. I don't bite. And uh, I've got four juniors in, in the show. Of course, I've got Dan Argent, got James Hilton, got Aiden, and I've got Keefe in no particular order. Because <laughs> obviously I've got to support them as, as equally as possible. But yeah, I'm very much looking forward to the show. Um, I'm not going to give predictions on the junior class because... Everyone's bringing a bit of everything, to be honest. Um, I know the other guy that's not my client. So there's five juniors. There's one that's not my client and four that are, <laughs> um, which is amazing. Uh, I know the other junior, though, and uh, for a very short period of time, I actually coached him. 
um, before he is now coached by Darren Loxton, who's a fantastic coach. Um, and I love Darren. I love Dennis. Um, they're both great guys. And, and Dennis just is... Uh, he is just a fantastic bodybuilder and I think he will do very well. Um, if he shows up at his best, he will be very difficult to beat. He's a very, very good junior, but it's all up in the air and it all matters as to what they bring on the day and we all know that. So very excited nevertheless and looking forward to, to that show. So today's going to be a bit of a Q&A. We're going to roll through some of the questions that I got on Instagram. I'm going to keep this around about 30 minutes so that you can all listen to it fairly comfortably. Um, a bit of an update on myself before we go into the Q&A. I've just come out of my mini cup, so calories are back up to around about 3,000. Um, this has bumped up me by about a pound so far. Um, so I'm about a pound above my lowest mini cup weigh, and I weigh about 169 pounds at the moment. The heaviest I got to in my off-season was 183. So I'm, I'm still pretty lean, to be honest. I still have you know, decent conditioning, and I'm feeling good at this body weight, productive training performance, productive recovery. I'm still sort of doing a bit of a calorie cycle on, on training versus non-training days. My non-training day calories are slightly higher in fat, slightly lower in caloric intake as a whole. Um, same protein, just a drop in carbohydrates and a, and a slight raise in fats. Um, my training day calories are, like I said, around about 3,000, um, consistent of about 400 grams of carbs, around about 55 to 60 grams of fat. Um, and 250 protein so yeah we're in the we're in the low 3000s and obviously i'm tracking everything just as accurately as i would in a prep i'm treating this off season as religiously as i can do guys like i'm serious about 2020 i'm i'm dead serious i, I want to achieve what i want to achieve in 2020 more than anything and uh i'm a i'm a firm believer that i i, I do think that it's certainly possible um i have no reason to suggest that it's not so I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm going to be patient. And, um, you know, anyone who fancies challenging me in 2020, like, let's turn up the heat. Let's go. Like, if you're a lightweight and you're going to be competing in 2020, turn it up, guys. Like, turn it up. I want to see you doing what I'm doing in the gym. Um, and that's not like a call out or anything. It's just like I'm willing to do anything for this. Um, you know, I'm like, I'm really ticking all my boxes here like sleeping eight, nine hours a night, nailing my nutrition, eating like a bodybuilder, eating this like, like it's my job. Um, and I want you to realize how, how serious I'm taking this off season. Like I'm not laxing up on anything. Like this matters to me. So and I get quite emotional about it because it really does mean a lot. Um, but yeah, um, that's where I'm at. Let's roll into these questions and, and see if I can give you some, some take-homes for, for this episode, guys. So... First up, no more defeats fitness ask Google Sheets. How can upcoming coaches use them? So essentially what you want to start doing with Google Sheets, guys, is really think about what you want to track for your clients. So it's pointless looking at what I do with my clients because it's going to be vastly different to what you're potentially trying to collect from your clients. So think about the client that you're coaching, whether they're general population, whether they're contest prep, whether they're male or female. Think about the data that you want to collect from them, not what I'm collecting, not what you want to collect for yourself. What do you want to collect from this person? What really will make your check-in process easier in terms of collection of data? Once you've nailed that, perfect, you're ready to go. And then you can just start laying that out on Google Sheets. You can create tabs at the bottom, so you can create their coaching tracker where they track their body weight, etc., etc. You can create a training tracker where they track their training. I recommend doing separate sheets. 
You can create a check-in form so they can fill out their data for the week in terms of what you're wanting from them. And this may well be individual. And then you can obviously create um, other things like nutrient timing trackers, meal plans. You can you can really like have a fucking roller coaster ride with Google Sheets. And it's, it's a very, very good form of document because you can just send it back and forth. You, well, so you, you don't have to send it back and forth. That's the positive. You can basically just create the link. You have access to it. Your client has access to it. And that's all you need. And then you get going. So really just think about what you're trying to collect from your clients and then go from there. And, and that's, that's what the most simplistic way that you can think about Google Sheets in terms of uh, opening up that as a tool uh, for yourself as a coach. Uh, Wonky Walsh Sammy. Uh, that's an incredible name, dude. So you, you're asking uh, three questions, one of which is totally irrelevant and you know it's irrelevant and I think you're asking it as a joke. He asked, what's my favorite steroid cycle? I, I don't have a clue what my favorite steroid cycle would be because I'm a natural athlete and I, I don't plan on taking steroids at any point in my training career at the moment. So I don't have a clue what the answer with that would, to that question would be. Um, but let's move on to the ones that we can give some actual, uh, actual informative answers on. So how to manage or check your ego. Uh, record your lifts. So if you're, if you're looking, talking about ego in the gym, you need to record your lifts. If you're starting to move weight for the sake of moving weight and you're no longer using the tissue that we're trying to train, you have to check your ego. Okay, you have to manage this. So uh, look at your look at yourself when you're training, um, and that by that I mean recording it with a Joby tripod. You can get them from Amazon. Uh, record your training footage. Really be analytical in in terms of the the way in which you manage things, and and then you will you will always determine as to whether you can move forwards with loads or re loads or repetitions as a result of how a movement looks. Okay, so really, really be vigilant on this, guys. It's it can get out of hand very fast, and you can start moving weights for the sake of moving weight, not for the sake of training a tissue. Okay, so what we're trying to do is maximally stimulate muscle. We're not trying to move something from A to B here. So that's what I do with clients. I really look analytically into their into their lifts, and I think, okay, is this client moving this with the target muscle group? If they are, perfecto. Let's move forwards. Let's increase load. Let's increase reps. If they are not maximally stimulating tissue with the exercise, we either need to look beyond the exercise as to whether it fits them as an athlete, as an individual, or we need to look into execution. All right. So record your lifts. Um, Plantar or dorsiflexion on a on a ham curl or a quad extension. Um, so this this I actually find is quite individual. Um, whilst a lot of people would say there's a specific way in which you, which you want to flex your foot um, for a specific movement, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, obviously, from a uh, from a mechanical perspective, you might look at doing one versus the other to maximally get a contract contraction. But I think whatever way in which you can flex your foot to get peak contraction, do that. Like, don't necessarily follow to the norm or what other people are doing. Look at how you want to perform a movement, and it might be intricate. You you might plantar flex, and that might not be what you want to do on a, on a leg extension. You might dorsiflex, and that might not be what you want to do on a ham curl. But go for what you can feel. Go for what you get the best connection with. That's my opinion, at least. Um, but try both. You know, There's not a one-size-fits-all with any exercise or execution. Um, so please try both, and then go from there. 
So Alex, one of my clients, asked my opinion on CBD oil and sprays. I've tried the CBD oil and I can comment on the fact that it probably made me feel a little bit more relaxed. It gave me good sleep. Um, the one opinion that I do have is that they are quite expensive. Um, I have had some clients use them and comment on injuries and niggles reduce in terms of their frequency um, or injuries that pre-exist, uh, the pain has gone down. Obviously, we know that it has anti-inflammatory effects, so that would make sense uh, in terms of those comments and positive attributes. But I would say, you know, maybe give it a shot. If you've got the spare income and you've got the spare cash, give it a shot. But it could be one of those things, guys, that it's just another another flashy trend that's kind of just robbing you of your money kind of thing, you know? Um, if we're eating in a manner that's not promoting an inflammatory state, um, as much as we can eat to, to sort of influence inflammation levels, um, which is, again, you know, potentially considered minimal in terms of the way that we food can influence inflammation, but if we can eat in a manner that, that suits and that doesn't cause excess inflammation on top of the inflammation that we're creating from training, I think that's enough to give us the environment to, to not be consistently inflamed um, and basically get into a position where we're recovering as best we can um, and getting good sleep. So I think it could be another fatty thing, but I'd have to try it for longer, to be honest, guys, to be able to give you an accurate response on that. So if any CBD oil company listens to this and wants to sponsor me and send me some stuff, go for it um, because uh, it's, it's expensive stuff. <laughs> Barnaby Sutton asked, when will the Ronnie Coleman pants make their return? Uh, potentially in the winter, I'll bring them back. Me and Danny were actually talking about them the other day, and uh, she said she liked them. She, she, she digged them, so maybe I'll bring them back. But yeah, they are quite loud. They are loud. And I think my personality when I prep is is more loud. Like, I, I, I don't really give a flying fuck about what I look like and that can do me some some favors and it can also do me not so not so many favors um, and I turn up in the gym in, in in pink and black baggy trousers trying to be Ronnie Coleman and then I realize that I'm actually just 150 pounds um, yeah and I'm not Ronnie Coleman so yeah they will they will come back at some point Greg lifts peak week considerations front loads back loads for certain types of athletes Okay, so my preference at the moment is what I like to call a progressive linear load. Um, and one of the first people to sort of put this out there was uh, Dr. Dr. Joe Klemzinski um, is the potentially the way you pronounce his surname. All right. So I like to start the week full, um, start the week fairly full. So give them a good, good couple of high days at the start end of the week. So you could almost call this a bit of a front load, but it just gets them nice and brimmed. Um, and then what we want to do throughout the week is kind of just hold that fullness and uh, reduce training volume and reduce training intensity, taper down steps and cardio, and just really, really cruise in. But the amount of times this happens, Greg, is fucking minimal. It's so low. The, re the reason why it's so low is because hardly anyone gets in shape early enough for this to happen. The ideal scenario is that we want to be in a reversed state coming into a show, and hardly anyone gets that job done. I only got that job done because I did so many shows last year. The reverse began for me after my UKDFBA qualifier. Okay, by that point, I'd already done 30 so weeks of prep, and I had another 15 to go. So I did 15 weeks of prep in a reversed environment. All right, so I was essentially, all my peak weeks for the final shows were like topping up. So I was running, my normal intake was like 400 carb, 50 fat, 180 protein, and about 20K steps. So I was running that daily. 
So during peak week, all I did was run like, basically I reduced my steps to 15K by the end of the week at least, if not coming down to 10 or 12K. I reduced my training intensity slightly and I just brought food up a little bit. So I went for like 400, 45, 450, 475, 500, all whilst monitoring the physique. And I think by most of my shows, I was up to 550. I think by Worlds, I did like a couple of 550 days. And this was all whilst monitoring the physique and not getting too clued up in scale weight, more so looking as to how I look. Um, so body composition over scale weight in that period of time. Water, I like to increment as well. So if an athlete is in a position where we are doing a, a very structured load or progressive linear load, I like to linearly increase water as well. Um, and I also like to see sodium, which will come up anyway. Um, I like to see sodium linearly increase as well. So if we're looking at getting maximum intramuscular fluid, um, then we're looking at bringing up carbohydrates. We're looking at bringing up fluid to match it. We're looking at bringing up sodium to match it as well. Um, you can get quite clued up in the numbers with this. Um, I personally did for myself. The amount of clients that I've done this for this year has been very minimal though, because unfortunately it's really difficult to do with other people because to get it really right, and me and Mark Claxton were actually talking about this the other, the other day, to get it really right, you kind of have to be seeing them very fucking frequently. And a lot of my clients can't do the right amount of physique updates that I need in that period of time to be able to nail that process to the, to the gram of sodium and to the exact liter of water, it's very difficult. So I have to go for more of a backseat and I'm looking in the future to ways in which I can work around this. Like, can I be with athletes on the day? Like, can I make this more efficient? Can I peak them better? Blah, blah, blah. No. If I'm working with athletes that could be getting their pro cards in the future, which I, I really hope that I will, um, I see myself doing, then I will need to fucking nail this process. So, um, Trust me, when I'm when it comes to peaking, I take it seriously. I do believe that it makes a difference. Um, but at the moment, I'm having to take more of a, I guess, more of a relaxed approach and more of a less structured approach because it's the an, the analysis process is slightly more difficult to attain than 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 you might think. Um, so you have to take a little bit more of a backseat approach. So, Greg, I hope that answers your question. Um, that's a very short roundup though. Above your pay grade, your philosophy of what it means to be an athlete. Uh, interesting question. I wouldn't say I really have a philosophy on, on that. I would say that what it means to be an athlete is to be someone that just immerses themselves in the process and loves it for whatever phase you're in. So whether you're in an off-season, whether you're in a pre-contest phase, whether you're maintaining your current body composition, you love the phase that you're in. And you're an athlete both on and off stage. So in the back seat, in the, in the phase in which you're in an audience watching a show, you're still an athlete. You're not eating junk, you're not eating crap, you're eating structured, you're staying on plan, you're being adherent to your sessions, you're an athlete year round. That's what an athlete is. Someone who enjoys competing and going to shows and just doing the occasional show, they, they can be different in the off season, you know, they can be very relaxed, they can be totally off plan and then come back and prep and, you know, that's, that's, that to me doesn't really signify what an athlete is. An athlete is pretty much 365, 24-7, like they're on it. Um, obviously, this involves being a human because funnily enough, as an athlete, you're not a robot. So this involves going out with family members, this involves having relationships, this involves having a girlfriend. 
um, and going out for food and doing other things. This is, these are all normal things. But at the end of the day, you still hit your fundamentals. You hit your protein. You hit you hit whatever expenditure you have to hit. Um, and you're really on point with the things that you do because that matters. That is what makes you an athlete. So I think that's really important to note is that you, know, you are an athlete all the time. Whitmore, 1993, finished, uh, sorry, finished dieting. Uh, so he's finished dieting. He was dieting on 1,400 calories. And you're up, you've upped your calories to about 1850 and your weight is still dropping. How? Very simple answer to this question, dude. And it's not going to surprise you. You are still in a deficit. That is why you are losing weight. Um, besides the fact that upping food will reduce cortisol levels because a lower deficit or a deficit that's less harsh will reduce your cortisol levels because dieting is a stress Placing that stress on the body will continue to see water retention from higher levels of cortisol. Once you drop that off, you will see a reduction in weight. This is water weight. This is cortisol coming out of the body. Um, this is hormones regulating, and this is you dropping some, some water weight, basically. Um, but besides that, if you continue dropping weight on 1850, and imagine at your body weight, mate, you're probably still in a deficit, dude. So yeah, that's, uh, that's the answer to your question, to keep that very short and sweet. Uh, if you want to gain more gain weight now, if that's the goal, um, get your food up, dude. Um, APC Fitness, rationale between proximity of post-workout meal um, and second post-workout meal being shorter than usual meals. So again, a pretty short, short answer to this one. Um, that window of time is where we want to maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis. It's also where we want to maximally get in food. Like this is recovery time, mate. This is where we want to maximally recover. So if we can look at that window as getting in as much food as we can within the, the boundaries of digestion, then that's gonna be a positive impact on recovery. So hence why we place more carbohydrates around our tra training sessions. We wanna generally place more calories around them too from a recovery perspective. Carbohydrates are our main tool for that. So those, those meals are gonna be fairly dense in carbohydrates, fairly low in fat, and obviously protein is gonna be adequate in those, in those meals as well. So again, and, and also, the further rationale from a very simplistic point of view is we're going to be hungrier in that phase. Usually people are hungrier post-workout. Most people, unless you have a really brutal leg session, you're off season, you lose your appetite from it. I've had that now and again. Um, you're going to be hungrier in that window of time. So get your, get your meals in. Get your meals in in that window of time. It's pretty easy to get them in. Um, relationship with food during prep versus off season from Coach, Coach Patch. Thanks for the question. In terms of my relationship with food, I found that obviously I'm more food focused during prep. Um, in my off season, when calories are pretty high, I have minimal food focus. I'm not really thinking about food. I'm not thinking about eating out. Um, I don't really get too bothered about that, if I'm honest. Um, but when I'm prepping, of course, like I do think about the next meal. I think about when I'm going to eat. I think about you know. I don't think about what I'm going to eat because I have structure. So I'd say if you wanted advice on that, then create structure in your diet and make sure that you're sticking to a plan that you can adhere to, to an extent. Of course, not many people want to adhere to a plan that gets them strided glutes because it hurts, but nevertheless, it's what has to be done to get the goal ticked off. So yeah, just, and focus in your off season. If your relationship with food is bad, that is a focus to improve on. That needs to improve. If your relationship with food, with food is bad in an off season, you're not prepping. No prep for you, not allowed, <laughs> no megusta. Like that is not what you wanna be doing. So you need to improve your relationship with food before you start a prep um, in, that, in that moment. 
Um, what are the benefits of going push and pull sessions? Well, Luke, um, so Luke asked this question. Luke, the reality is you're just going to be able to lay more focus on the muscle groups that you're training in those sessions. If you were to go, if you were to compare it to a upper lower split, of course, in the upper session at some point, the neurological state that you're in, the 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 um, intensity will diminish because you're looking at training so many body parts in one session. Neurologically, you'll tap out at some point, so it'll become harder to focus on the on the muscle groups that you're training. So push and pull, splitting it up more allows for still adequate frequency, but more neurological focus in your session. Comparison to single body part splits, like a chest day and a shoulder day, it allows for higher frequency. And we know as athletes, given the intensity is there, so volume is talked about all the fucking time. Like everyone's like, volume's the main driver of, of hypertrophy. Like, shut up, man. It doesn't matter what volume you're doing if you're training like a pussy. So you need to train hard first, and then you can decide how much volume you can do. You can't go into a session and think, oh, okay, I'll, like I'm recovering fine. So I'm gonna do six sets on the hack squat. Well, yeah, if all those six sets are just so submaximal that you know, like a four-year-old four child could do them, of course you're gonna be able to get loads of volume out. But the reality is volume is only allowed to go up once intensity is adequate, all right? And that's why I need to see videos of my clients. I'm not adding another set to their session if all their sets are shit. So it allows push and pull sessions, it allows for, for a decent level of frequency within your volume requirements. Um, J Gib, no, it, no, it says J... No, G, G, J, B, 87. Do you use different stances on the hack squat? And if so, is what's, what's your preference? Um, on the hack squat on the moment, the moment, I don't because it just sort of favors one stance and that's my strongest stance. But I do believe that having feet low versus feet wide, obviously having feet wider will be more glute ham dominant. Feet low and narrow will be more quad dominant. Um, but the main driver for getting getting quad activation is gonna be knee flexion. So whatever stance gives you the most knee flexion and the most consistent power output, that's what you wanna pick, okay? So that's that's my preference there for you. Um, thoughts of pushing the meal, uh, so Mike Salnino, thoughts on pushing first meal later into the day, particularly during a deficit. Um, I like this a lot, so I pushed my first meal back to, uh, what was it, about 10? Yeah, about 10 in the morning when I was dieting and that helped me massively, that helped me drastically. So I think that doing that is a really good thing. It just allows you to back back your meals up a little bit. So yeah, I would do that. Um, I see no issues. The only thing that you want to kind of avoid is pushing it back too far. Like I see a lot of people pushing it back really far. And I think that that from a muscle protein synthesis standpoint is not a good thing. Uh, at the end of the day, you want to have at least five MPS spikes when dieting throughout the day and evenly spread. So if that means your first meal is like fucking 1 p.m. and you've been up six hours, I don't think that's very good for retaining tissue. So be careful with that, Mike. Best sources or places to educate yourself for a bodybuilding competition, Playman Fitness. I think that um, there's plenty of places. Uh, personally, um, obviously listening to my channel would be a good thing. Going to some shows would be really good. Um, uh, Callum, The Muscle Mentors, is a great podcast to listen to. Revive Stronger is a great podcast to listen to. Team 3DMJ have great podcasts to listen to. Um, Beast Fitness Radio is good podcast. Uh, the Optimal Physique Development Podcast with Joe and Austin. Um, some of those are just off the top of my head, places in which you can educate yourself. 
Um, core strength, locale with weekly refeed versus consistent deficit is very individual. So uh, linear macros versus uh, weekly refeed. I think having a twice weekly weekly refeed, so a two days back to back is far better than having one. I think having one day refeeds are just like in the past now. I don't think that we should be doing them personally. I don't think they offer much benefit. In terms of the hormonal response, you'll get a better response for, for potentially leptin and ghrelin. Um, and also the stress hormones, like I mentioned earlier, if you did two days in a row versus one. Likewise, if you did three days in a row, that would be better. If you did four days, even better. If you did a diet break, even better. So I think that potentially just doing consistent deficits um, and maybe having slight fluctuations in terms of the training days. So having slightly higher calories on more demanding training days, potentially that could be beneficial. Just so almost like the net deficit on the day is kind of linear. Um, if you think about it, you're going to be probably burning more calories on a leg day than a chest day or a push day. So you might want slightly higher calories on a leg day than you would on a push day, maybe. That's something you could look into. It's something I might play about with in my next uh, prep. Is just a slight, slight manipulation of macros. I've seen some people get really good results with that. And that can be beneficial from a performance retention standpoint as well. Um, why don't I pull without a belt? I think anecdotally, I've seen very good development in my erectors from not pulling with a belt. If you look at how we're stabilizing something like a deadlift, when you're not pulling with the belt, we're not relying on the belt, and what are we gonna use instead? We're gonna use our erectors. Of course, we're gonna use our erectors when we pull with the belt as well, because you're gonna have to, the belt's not doing the work. But if we rely solely on the belt to brace and to, to sort of get locked in, I think we're missing some muscular standpoint from a bodybuilding perspective. Um, if you look at some beltless pullers as well, like look at Jordan Peters back. Um, that's all I really need to say. That's pretty much it in terms of the questions. So uh, pretty much wrap that up in terms of 30 minutes. So wicked. I'm really happy with that. Hope you enjoyed this podcast, guys. Of course, I think I might do this again. Like um, tag me in Instagram and like give me some feedback on this. Tag me on Instagram if you listened. Um, let me know some feedback. Let me know if you want to see this kind of thing again and I'll definitely do it. But guys, like... Cheers for tuning in. Cheers for listening. Hopefully you learned something out of this one. Um, any further questions, like I'll put up another one and we'll do it again. Let me know if you want to see me and Danny do a podcast. I had a few people message saying me and Danny should do a podcast together. So let me know if you want to see that. Um, but yeah, any ideas on content? Guys, the content's for you. So if you want to see something specific, just let me know. Just buzz me and I'll get it done. All right. So I'm going to get back to a few more clients today get my rest day cardio done, travel up to Sheffield, um, and then enjoy my, my weekend of shows. So I hope you have a great weekend, guys. Um, and thanks very much for listening again, and we'll chat soon. Peace out.